0: And now, to set the stage for the day and for the work that uh, many of you will be talking about throughout it, I'd like to invite the stage, the person who leads so much of Canada Phi20's policy work, the chair of our advisory board. He is an internationally recognized Canadian economist, public policy leader, sustainability advocate, and author. He serves as the UN Special Envoy for Climate Action and Finance, chair of Brookfield Asset Management and head of transition investing, and previously as governor of the Bank of Canada and governor of the Bank of England. Between all these responsibilities, he is a great friend and longtime supporter of Canada 2020 on the front lines of how the world and Canada are working towards the transition to a sustainable economy. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Mark Carney. Thank you. Uh, thank you
1: very much, Braden. Uh Thank you all for getting here bright and early. A fantastic group uh, assembled here for a very important day of conversations. Uh, What I'd like to do to just sort of, as Braden said, uh, set the stage, is say a few words about um, how we can build uh, the transition to net zero for maximum impact. Um, And I want to start though with an honest assessment of where we are. Um, We're really living in an age of uncertainty, an age of insecurity, uh, a hinge moment in history that's been sprung by a series of crises. Crisis of uh, finance, uh, seems uh, an, e- an eon ago, although it's still burned in my brain, uh, the global financial crisis, uh, crisis in Europe, crisis in health, crisis in energy uh, and geopolitical crises uh, which continue. Um, and one of the points I like to make is that each of these crises, that's a pathway of uh, the global economy. You'll see that with each of those crises uh, it's punctuated, the, the slope uh, changes. Um, so the trend rate of growth, uh, changes and the gap that's opened up is quite significant. So it's more than $40 trillion, uh, these days, just in terms of the level of the global economy, hundreds of trillions of dollars of lost GDP. And that's one of the reasons why, uh, governments are struggling, uh, and people are struggling. Um, Canadian per capita GDP, for example, is still not yet back, uh, at pre-crisis, uh, levels. Um, that's sort of the high-level perspective. But, of course, for people, for fellow Canadians, uh, the issues are more immediate, they're more uh, visceral. Les gens s'inquiètent de leur salaire. Ils travaillent toujours plus fort, toujours plus longtemps. Mais l'inflation fait en sorte qu'ils perdent et non gagnent de terrain. Les gens sont préoccupés par le coût de logement que ce soit la cause de l'augmentation fulgurante des loyers ou de la forte hausse des prix hypothécaires. Et si vous êtes jeune, si vous n'avez pas de logement, la promesse d'en trouver un semble s'éloigner jour par jour. Les gens s'inquiètent de leurs enfants et de leurs avenir. The point is we're all anxious. Canadians are worried about falling uh, behind, uh, getting ahead. They're worried about affording their homes or if they're young, being able to buy one. They're worried about their kids, they're worried about their futures, and uh, they're worried in a fast changing and more dangerous world. Uh, And they also uh, worry about uh, their identities. Uh, You know, we've been through a divisive pandemic. Uh, We have divisive social media. Uh, hyper-targeted, uh, hyper-partisan, uh, modern politics. And the question is, what binds us together? What are we trying to build uh, together? On doit trouver une façon d'aider les gens à regagner confiance en l'avenir. Il faut d'abord regarder les faits en face et tenir compte de la réalité. Il faut avoir un plan pour remédier nos défis Il faut obtenir des résultats concrets qui donneront aux gens une raison de croire que le progrès est non seulement un objectif ambitieux, mais surtout atteignable, réaliste. En effet, bâtir l'avenir doit être la mission que doit être au cœur de nos efforts. It's time to build. It's time to build sustainability, prosperity, opportunity for all. I'm gonna say that our greatest opportunity is to build a sustainable Canadian economy. Accelerating the transition to net zero will impact every sector. It'll be capital intensive after decades of too little investment. It'll be job heavy in the years where we have AI-driven creative destruction of jobs. Now, across the world, entrepreneurs, innovators, and businesses are increasingly focused on the enormous value that can be created by solving an existential problem. Investment in clean energy is exploding, bringing the energy transition to an inflection point. In recent years, global investment in solar, EVs, heat pumps, battery storage have all gone parabolic. And investment in manufacturing capacity is surging as new supply chains are being formed around the world. Decarbonization is becoming a fundamental driver of company competitiveness. And as a consequence, valuation premiums across sectors for outperformers are rising sharply. And those companies who move from laggards to leaders are generating excess returns for their shareholders their employees, and their communities. And at the same time, stranded asset risks are rising. A decade ago, I was one of those who warned that more than 50% of the world's proven reserves of oil and gas and more than 90% of the proven reserves of coal must remain in the ground if the world is to limit temperature rises to one and a half degrees. That was a straightforward statement of climate physics. That was then. Now, what's happening is the world is headed in that direction and say that it's going to get there. But if you look at projections for natural gas consumption over the course of just four years, uh, the peak has gone uh, from the 2040s uh, to this decade. It's clear that carbon is becoming a driver, not just of company competitiveness, but country competitiveness. It's a creator of jobs and growth. I'd say more generally that in the future, great powers will be green powers. And Canada should be a great power. Building a sustainable economy will bring a multi decade investment boom after a decades long drought. In Canada, estimates suggest an additional $50 billion a year of investment every year for decades, and addressing climate change will increase productivity across value chains and through innovations such as improved uh, and reduced energy intensity. The returns, a more sustainable and secure energy system, a more competitive economy, better jobs, higher growth. And in all respects, Canada should lead. We can be a linchpin in the new sustainable value chains that are being created today in virtually every industry. We can cement our leadership, and we do have leadership today, in industries of the future, such as AI, where access to both large-scale computing resources and cloud that run on clean energy, and only clean energy, that's the ante in AI, are essential. We can be the go-to and nature-positive supplier of critical minerals that this uh, sustainable world needs. And given our track record, we can become the clean energy superpower providing solutions from hydrogen to nuclear. So it's time to build, but how we build uh, also matters. And for me, it starts with taking the economic agenda and making it everybody's. Prosperity is not trickle-down, but it's also not top-down. Instead, strong, inclusive, and sustainable growth is everything, everywhere, all at once. We need to build not as governments, but as of people, as Canadians. La croissance forte, et inclusive, et soutenable doit se faire tout partout et tout à la fois. C'est à nous de bâtir l'avenir, pas en tant que gouvernement, mais bien en tant que Canadiens et Canadiennes. So we have to start with a shared mission, a clean economy for the jobs it will provide today and the better future it will secure tomorrow. Yes, that does include a clean grid by 2035 for the advantages that it will give us here at home and for the investment and jobs it will attract from abroad. And I'd suggest that to get there, we should follow five principles. First, the transition should involve the whole economy. Governments, business, and finance should all have plans to turn this challenge into opportunities. Capital shouldn't be constrained by simplistic bans on financing entire industries, but be incentivized to go where the emissions are and help get them down. Secondly, we have a unique opportunity to leverage our trading relationships built by successive governments from Mulroney, Kretchen, Harper, and Trudeau. These can allow Canadian businesses and workers to play central roles in those new sustainable value chains. And it means that we can benefit from cheaper, clean technologies that are generously, sometimes very generously, supported by our trading partners, particularly the United States. We don't need to match every subsidy. And that brings me to my third priority, which is fiscal discipline it's dangerous to think that government spending has no downside. We're entering a tough new macro environment where sound money and credible fiscal policies will be rewarded, mistakes will be punished, no country will be exempt. To discipline spending, we should distinguish between investments and operating expenditures with a golden rule, and we should assess all policies on carbon value for money. Governments cannot fund this transition alone, the IMF, in fact, estimates that if governments rely solely on subsidies, transition costs could reach an additional 50 percentage points of GDP in debt. We can't replace one burden on our grandchildren with another on our kids. We need to preserve those precious fiscal resources to support households who need it the most, such as through targeted income support, through heat pumps for clean energy, retraining for the jobs of the future. And to drive jobs and growth, spending discipline must be matched by strategic investment, smart regulation, and first-class execution. In effect, what we need to do is use limited public resources to maximum effect to unlock private investment. And we can only do that if we hit the fourth priority, which is to build a sustainable financial system. And that will require changes at least as bold as those that powered the industrial revolution. Don't worry, I won't go through all of them in uh, excruciating, acronym-filled detail. For those of you who want that, there's the Sustainable Finance uh, Summit uh, tomorrow, and I thank uh, Ryan Turnbull for bringing us together for that. But let me just say that it's time for us to move forward on a series of issues in sustainable finance. Uh, The world is, um, and we don't want to be in a position where we've left it for others to decide, where our companies are caught by rules in the EU uh, or California— where many of our companies aren't covered, so it's unclear how we allocate capital, uh, and and uh, within uh, Canada, um, and in effect, what we have in Canada is a roadmap, and that's their term of uh, the Sustainable Finance Action uh, Council. Uh, they provided it over a year ago, uh, and we have a roadmap. We're looking for a driver of the car, um, and uh, we're hoping to find it uh, tomorrow at the Sustainable uh, Finance Summit. Um, And then finally, um, we need uh, the right uh, climate policies, and we need to stick with them. Um, As Secretary Yellen and I have shown in some research, the more credible and predictable climate policies are, the more that they create a virtuous cycle. Uh, Investment in large scale, faster decarbonization, more jobs, faster growth. And that's why the climate policy debate, and there should be a debate about climate policy. It's absolutely right. There's no one right answer. But the climate policy rate debate should be a competition of ideas, not a denial of purpose. And if someone wants to repeal a me- measure, they should replace it as something more effective applied fairly across the country. So let me uh, let me conclude. Um, you know, when... Uh, In all our lives, if time to time, you're faced with a fundamental uh, challenge, uh, a major issue. Um, And it pays, I think, to go back to where you're from, or at least reflect back uh, on where you're from, to be grounded in that place, be grounded in the values uh, that come from there in order to chart the right path uh, going forward. Um, Now, I was born in Fort Smith uh, in the Northwest Territories. And some of my fondest memories are uh, in and around there, uh, Wood Buffalo uh, National Park, which neighbors it. And as many of you know, this summer, my entire hometown and basically all the surrounding area uh, was evacuated under the threat of raging wildfires, part of a pattern of extreme weather events and weather-induced disasters uh, that swept our country. Manifestations of the tragedy of the horizon that I'd warned about eight years ago uh, in the atrium of Lloyd's of London. Now, people of Fort Smith, they're made of tough stuff, they're back, they're back in their homes. After all, the motto of Fort Smith is perseverance. Uh, But such calamities will only spread across Canada, across the world if we don't act. And that recalls uh, to me my second uh, childhood memory, which is of my father showing me uh, bitumen. Uh, back in the early 1970s. and Back then, the oil sands, Mark, they were a concept. Uh, And it was subsequently turned into an enormous commercial success by a combination of engineering miracles, hard work of entrepreneurs, the drive of entrepreneurs and companies, and uh, government support, a true partnership. They've helped secure our energy independence, contributed to the Americans' energy independence, And the oil sands have made huge contributions to our shared prosperity. And that shared prosperity, that shared prosperity was in evidence this summer as Albertans welcomed to into their homes, thousands of those climate evacuees from the north. And we need those same qualities today. Perseverance, innovation, solidarity to drive the net zero revolution. It's time to build. It's time to build together. Il s'agit seulement de garder espoir, de nos valeurs, d'avoir confiance et de bâtir, bâtir une meilleure avenir pour tous. Merci. Thank you very much. And now I think I get grilled by Sarah.
0: Thank you so much, Mark, for that outstanding framing. I'll invite you to take a seat, and I will indeed call up Sarah, who we are very fortunate to have as a member of Canada 2020's advisory board and is also partner partner and associate director of climate and sustainability at BCG Consulting Group, as well as someone who, in government, has led many of these climate action and net-zero transformation files over the recent decade. So, Sarah, I'll invite you up to the stage. Give her a warm welcome. Thank you.
2: So, Mark... um you talked about living in an age of uncertainty and a hinge moment in history. We may be facing a hinge moment for Canada's national climate plan. Can you talk to me about the certainty and predictability that we need to see, and what last week's decision? Um, your reflections on the government's decision to to roll back a portion of the carbon price to address, you know, uh, something that was very real felt, but we, the policy had addressed affordability in other ways. So, what, what's your take on that?
1: Okay, Um, so we're getting right into it. Okay, thank you, Sarah. Um, uh, And let me start with this, which is that no government, uh, no prime minister, no government uh, in Canadian history has done more to address climate change. And that's to your credit. I know you're working behind the scenes and crafting that. Catherine's credit, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, whom we'll hear later this afternoon, his credit, uh, and all parliamentarians. So so none have done more. let first say, the second, You know, Canadians are struggling. Uh, many Canadians are struggling. Uh, they're struggling not because of the carbon tax, um, which gets rebated. they're struggling because of uh, broad increases uh, in energy prices and food prices, uh, the impact on wages, the uncertainty that also is there, the lingering effects of, uh, of COVID as well. Um, and so there are areas where they deserve support and we should try to provide that support Uh, And there are various ways to provide that support. I would have looked for other ways uh, to provide that support uh, than uh, the route chosen, Uh, not least because what is important is that clarity in terms of the overall plan, the overall direction, uh, because that certainty um, helps to incentivize uh, change. So you can provide support over here, but keep this uh, certainty there. I think the the third thing I'd say though is uh, I very much applaud what um, the government did last week with respect to helping Canadians accelerate the transition uh, and uh, the measures on heat pump, which just to be clear is my read of it, it applies across the country. Uh, It does depend what your local provincial government is doing to help uh, uh, balance that, but uh, below median incomes in effect. Heat pumps are, in effect, uh, very low cost, if not free in some cases. Um, and that gets to a fundamental point, which is that uh, for many Canadians, uh, they have a lousy heating system. Uh, you know, uh, using home heating oil at one time made sense, but uh, it's what's been exposed over the years. And I've seen this a number of times uh, over the years. Uh, it's subject to global energy prices, it's very volatile. People are operating on very Tight budgets, and all of a sudden the budgets are knocked out of whack, as they have been over the last year because of the increase in global oil prices, uh, first and foremost. Um, and we need to get off that system. We need to get to a system that's uh, sust- affordable, that's uh, reliable, uh, that's not volatile, and that's sustainable. And that's what uh, you know. Events of uh, of recent months and decision of last week hopefully will help move forward.
2: So you talked a lot about you know we don't have endless fiscal power, and that you know. Yeah great powers are going to be green powers. To me, that sounds like you think carbon pricing needs to be continue to be the cornerstone.
1: Well, I think I think it is a cornerstone. The climate policy, uh, you know very well, it's all about the and. Um, it's a mistake to overly rely on carbon pricing, uh, just as it's a mistake and is not feasible to only rely on, uh, on support. We cannot buy our way to uh, to net zero. And what is particularly powerful is to have some clear priorities, um, have those priorities and those objectives set far enough in the future that you can do something about it, about it but near enough that you have to start now. Um, and that's what gets moving. And, and those are the types of priorities on the industrial side. And I'm going to come back, I mentioned in my remarks on, on the clean grid, in business, what you want is to keep things straightforward. We want to be out there in the world saying, "Come to Canada. We have a clean. We've got the best workers in the world. That's clear. We've got the best trading relationships in the world. That's also clear. We trade with everyone we want to. In effect, uh, credit to you know, as I said, governments from already uh, subsequent. Um, and uh, but we should we should put, be providing people with a clean grid because I will tell you, I know from experience that. Businesses today, as they're moving their activities or they're thinking about their marginal investments, the first question is, where am I going to get my power from, and is it going to be clean? And we can answer that question in the absolute. Some provinces in Canada can answer it today in the absolute; it's absolutely clean. The whole country should, and uh, and and that's why we need to work together for
2: that. So, shifting gears, this wouldn't be a Canadian climate discussion if we didn't talk about oil. Um, I know you talk to a lot of global oil companies um, and their boards, and they're clearly making a transition, a uh, bet that the transition is going to be maybe not as slow as, as others might think. Um, what do you tell them, the boards, about the soundness of that bet?
1: Well, I think I, 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 a couple of things. One is um, the uh, we're going to use oil for a long period of time. We, we should all recognize that. Um, uh, but the, the increasingly, the hydrocarbons that are burned Uh, will be low risk from low risk jurisdictions, check for Canada, low cost, low marginal cost, and they need to be low carbon as well. And um, so the first question is, what's your strategy for that? Because uh, exactly when the peak comes and exactly what the downslope is on uh, use of oil and gas, certainly coal, uh, remains to be seen, Um, what is clear is that peak has come in uh, given the speed with which other investments have been made. And it's come in more than a decade over the course of the last few years, uh, at least in the judgment of some forecasters. doesn't mean the exact forecast is right, but the direction is clear. So if you're competing for a market that is, is is shrinking, you better have all of those characteristics. And we need to build that. One of our sponsors here today is uh, Pathways is central to building that. Mark and others have uh, all the marks in the room have been uh, su- uh, supporting that, making that move. Um, and but we need to we need to actually implement it. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second is um, to really think about in that context whether, as an energy company, and different ones will have different answers. Look, there's two, there's there's three strategies that are viable. Just to recap, one is um, I'm going to grab a increasing market share of a, of a shrinking market. So I'm investing low cost, low low carbon, uh, low low risk jurisdiction. The second is reinvesting the cash flows to transition the company to be big energy. Um, at present, very few of the big oil companies are investing anything near what's required uh, in order for that transition. So they're spending basically seven, eight percent of their overall cash flow on the future as opposed to uh, the existing energy system, and that's for the best in class, um, and returning 50 to 60% to their shareholders, which gets to the third point, which is the third strategy. But if you're a board or you're a shareholder of the company, you should know that that is the strategy. It shouldn't be a subconscious strategy, if you will, which is to basically run the company down, amortize the company over time, return the cash flow. and. Um, I think some of—I'm not saying the Canadian ones, but some of the because the Canadian ones focused on strategy number one, um, but some of the international ones are are in that in that position. They're basically falling into a transition trap, gambling that it won't uh, it won't happen as fast against the evidence is going in the other direction, and not investing enough to be ready for it.
2: So in Canada, how important are tools like the cap and Cat policy in terms of making sure that the shareholder interest? Which might be looking at, you know, trying to get as much money out as they can right now. Actually, aligns with the public interest in terms of, you know, wanting to compete for that last barrel and have the low carbon, low cost, low risk oil.
1: Well, I think I I I put it um, I put it this way, which is what is in the national interest and would be in the interest. I mean, it's in the national interest first, is, which is the way you should think about. We always you think about policy, uh, Catherine. Others think about uh, Sonia Savage is here. Uh, thinks about policy, what's in the interest, the public interest first and foremost, um, is to, uh, to get to uh, very low emission, uh, scope one, scope two, uh, hydrocarbon production. Um, and in Canada, we, we have some unique uh, engineering challenges and others in order to get there. Uh, and the industry is getting seized with those, but we have to, we have to deliver on those. And I'd underscore that because my sense is that what's going to happen internationally is low carbon hydrocarbons are going, that, that, that attribute is going to be increasingly important because of some of the commitments that are likely to happen in the next, literally in the next few uh, weeks.
2: Okay. So let's talk about the next few weeks. So you've been very involved in COP. This is an audience that's going to be watching what's happening there very closely. So, what are the big things that you think people should be yeah. watching for and anticipating? And are we going to get any real substance out of this COP?
1: Yeah. Well, um, there's an advantage. To, there's always advantage to, advantages to having these meetings, as you know, uh, because d- n- debates and discussion negotiations can go on. They can stretch out forever. But the fact that you have to show up, and um, you know, as Catherine knows uh, from Paris and beyond, uh, and make make decisions, uh, it's a forcing mechanism. Doesn't always work, but. You know, I think a couple of things could come out that could be pretty significant for Canada, for the world. The first is, I alluded to it, on oil and gas. The objective is to have as many companies and countries sign up to the following, which is zero methane, near zero methane by 2030 and a doubling of scope one, scope two energy efficiency for the hydrocarbon producers again by 2030. So those are big moves. Uh, if you get 50, per, just for reference for this crowd, that's about five gigatons of uh, the 50 plus gigatons of global emissions. So it's 10% of global emissions at play by 2030. Let's say we get half. That's, that's significant. It's not everything, but that's 5%. There's not much else you can do that gets uh, that return that quickly. So that's the first thing to look for. The second thing to look for is something major on financing for the emerging and developing world, and not in the in the conventional cop sense, which is money from uh, advanced economy governments uh, to you know that's pledged but not delivered, uh, but more catalytic capital that uh, can help with the transition. Uh, so look for something on that. Uh, thirdly, um, the hard to evade sectors, so the core of industry, you know, cement, steel, aluminum, uh, transport, uh, and beyond. Uh, there, I, I don't want to front run um, negotiations decisions, but there is the prospect of uh, quite a significant demand accelerator that is being put together with associated financing for that. So this is real substantive, you know, roll up your sleeves, um, pulling forward hydrogen carbon capture. And then the last thing, and I would say this, a bunch of plumbing stuff that no one will notice around transition plans, around voluntary carbon marks, things like but that matters because it helps channel uh, capital uh, around.
2: Okay, so one last question. You mentioned your your time in Fort Smith, you grew up, were born there, and then you spent a good part of your life in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, probably have some old high school friends that are still there. Um, in rooms like this we throw around words like net zero and energy transition, but you really are talking about the economic opportunity. So if you get a call from a friend in Edmonton who says like, Mark, like, what's all this net zero stuff? What's in it for me? What is, like, what are my kids going to do? Why should I care? Like, what's, what does that conversation look like for you? Well,
1: it, you know, it's interesting. It's a um, culture I grew up in, and I do have a lot of friends in Edmonton. You know, Edmonton, Interior, B.C., um, Calgary. You know, something some went to Calgary. Still chair for the Oilers, but they're in Calgary. Um, and um, one, of them, one of them even ran an oil company, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, my best friend, uh, Alex Corbet, uh, when I was growing up, um, and uh, who's come to Canada 2020 events. It, a couple of things there. One is that it's a uh, it's a can do place. First thing. Secondly, there is a broad engineering type culture, and I don't mean that everyone goes and becomes an engineer, but through Nate and technical schools, and I think people are familiar with technology and and, and transition in that uh, respect. Thirdly, um, you know, it's people if you're my age. Uh, you have seen that whole transformation of the energy. I mean, like the oil center, it was a concept. Uh, it became a reality and a huge return. And there is more of a confidence around what else can be done. And then the fourth thing I would say is that, look, this is also one of the centers. We have a few centers in Canada of AI and other uh, you know, leading expertise. So you have the, the prospect of things moving. Um, and what's, uh, what do they get excited uh, about for that? Um, is actually building something, uh, building something new and building something again. And I think what's crucially important is, uh, and this, I mean, it's, it's, kind of odd to even have to say it, but that we acknowledge just how incredible that incredible Edmonton is and people from Edmonton, no, no, how incredible that province has been, you know, Alberta has been in terms of the contributions, uh, not just to Canada, but to the world. And because of those characteristics, um, how central they'll be to uh, what we're talking about
2: today. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.